please, brothers and sisters, if you would then, turn with me to our text this morning. As we will be beginning in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. And after our sermon today, if I, if I stick to my plan, which I'm, I'm not tying myself to, but if I uh, stick to my plan, there will only be six more sermons uh, after this morning. And I think we began June of 2020 in the Gospel of Mark. So, so we'll be looking today at Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. So Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. So brothers and sisters, please, if you would, hear with me the reading of God's Word. And as soon as it was morning the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify Him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered Him to be crucified. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. Now brothers and sisters, as we've, as we've read so far, in the Gospel of Mark, what we know is that Jesus has been brought before the Sanhedrin early Friday morning. And He's being questioned by them between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. And at the end of that meeting, the Sanhedrin had determined uh, that Jesus was deserving of death. And they believed Him to be deserving of death because they charged Him with blasphemy. And the reason that they charge him with blasphemy is because when Caiaphas, the high priest, asks him, uh, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus responds in the affirmative. Now this meeting, though, is not the only meeting this morning that takes place because we're told in the first verse of our text this morning that as soon as it was morning or as the sun begins to rise, uh, the chief priests held consultation once again with the scribes and the elders. Now, they're holding this meeting in order to, to devise amongst themselves 
a reason for Rome to put Jesus to death? What charge can they conjure up? We have to remember that the Sanhedrin are like the supreme court for the Jewish people. But as much freedom as Rome gave the Jewish people, the Jewish people were still under the authority of Rome. And one thing that Rome did not give to the Jewish people was the authority to wield the sword. That was something that belonged to Rome and Rome alone. And we actually learn this from John's Gospel in the 18th chapter and in the 31st verse. As the council brings Jesus to Pilate, Pilate actually says to them, you know, what are you doing here? Take this guy back and you judge him according to your own law. But what they say in verse 31 to him is that it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Right? Here's the issue. And so you see the Jews had the authority to punish Jesus according to their law. Right? They could have punished him. But the punishment that they wanted was not as severe as they could give because all they had was red in their eyes and they wanted to see Jesus die. Right? Their pronouncement, though, was not enough under, Jew, under Roman law. This is their problem. Their pronouncement of Jesus' guilt is not enough. If they want Jesus to be put to death by the Romans, then the Romans have to pronounce guilt against Jesus. And so this is why they, they bring uh, Jesus to Pilate early in this morning. But they come bringing Jesus, understanding that they can't bring a charge of blasphemy against him because Pilate, as a pagan ruler, uh, could care less about that charge. Right? He doesn't care about the infighting between the Jewish people concerning their God and concerning their religion. And so knowing this, they come up with new charges that they think will be sufficient grounds for Rome to put Christ to death. And so with with that background, this leads us then into the first of our three points this morning. And so point number one is going to be Jesus' new charges. Jesus' new charges. Okay, so in verse 2, right after the council brings uh, Jesus to Pilate, we read that Pilate asks Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, why does Pilate ask this question? Right? What makes Pilate ask this question of Jesus? What, what is it that is put in Pilate's mind to make him think that Jesus is even claiming this? Well, this is where the other gospel narratives are helpful to, to fill in information for us. And so Luke, in, in Luke's gospel, he, he records for us that, that when these men bring Jesus to Pilate, that they come saying in Luke chapter 23 and verse 2, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Right? So this is what they have come saying. These are the new charges uh, that the Sanhedrin have brought up for Jesus. Right? That he is misleading the nation, that he is forbidding them to, to tithe to Caesar, and that he is claiming himself to be a king. And it's this reason then that we need to see in verse 2 that Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Because whether that's true or not, that is a matter of great significance for Rome. Is there someone out there who's looking to gather for himself an army in order to bring about insurrection and revolt against Rome? Because this, Rome will have none of. This would be considered treason. And treason is a crime that is punishable by death. And the Sanhedrin know this. This is why they bring this charge up to Jesus. And this is why Pilate then asks Jesus this question. 
Right? He's, he's trying to determine, is this true? Is it true? Are you really a king? Now, I want us to think back to the first charges that were brought against Jesus when he stood before the council and he was questioned by the high priest Caiaphas. Do we, if we remember that, those charges were that Jesus says, I will destroy the temple in three days, raise it up. And remember how we we shown that that was not true. We looked at John chapter 2, where that came from, and Jesus actually says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And here we see the the same type of lie being perpetuated. Right? It It is truth mixed with falsehood. Because yes, Jesus is a king, and he has come to establish a kingdom. But obviously they're trying to make it seem like Jesus wanted to be a king, like the king of every other nation. But here's the ironic thing, is that this is the reason people were disbelieving Jesus, right? Because he wasn't coming to be that political king ruler who was going to set up an earthly kingdom. But now they want Pilate to believe that Jesus wanted to be a king like every other king, like Jesus wanted to be a king and set up an earthly kingdom that has earthly boundaries that would compete with all nations, and in particular a kingdom that would compete with Rome. This is not the case. And Pilate recognizes this. Right? Pilate recognizes that there is something else that is going on. There's something wrong here. There's something amiss. And Pilate himself begins to understand what that is as he talks to Jesus. Now, in response to the question, are you the king of the Jews, what does Jesus respond with? He says, you have said so. But here is where John fills us in with a little more information. In John chapter 18, verse 36 Jesus also says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So here it's clear that Jesus is saying, I'm not an enemy to Caesar. I'm not trying to to, to cast him aside as an earthly ruler. And as Pilate continues to question Jesus... As we read in verse 4, then he asks him again, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. And after this exchange, we see in verse 5, we're told that Jesus made no further answers, so that Pilate was amazed. You see, Pilate, after, after seeing Jesus, after witnessing his demeanor, after seeing his character, after listening to the answers Jesus gave, and after hearing the, the charges brought against Jesus, Pilate does not believe the Sanhedrin. He does not believe them. In fact, in verse 10, what are we told? That Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests have delivered him up. And Pilate was right. They've done this out of envy. They, they envied Jesus' fame. They, they envied over the way people looked at Jesus, at the way they, they clamored over him, after the way that they listened to his words, after the way that they proclaimed him to be the son of David, the Messiah. And so it was, it was envy that caused them to stir up these charges in order that they might cement the faith of our Lord. And yet what we need to see, what, what I want us to see, is that in doing so, what they really have cemented is their own faith. That they've cemented their own faith. Now in verse 6 we're told that it was a customary practice that at the feast of the Passover to let one person go, to let one prisoner free. And because Pilate knows Jesus is innocent, because he knows that he is guilty, not guilty of this charge and that he was only brought before him out of envy, 
What we see here is that Pilate tries to set Jesus free. Right? Pilate tries to set him free. He tries to do the right thing. And he does this by bringing out a hardened and notorial, notorious criminal named Barabbas. And in Mark chapter, uh, verse 7, excuse me, of our text today, we're told by Mark that Barabbas is a murderer and someone who was involved in insurrection. Uh, John fills in for us also that Barabbas is likewise a robber. Right? He's a thief. And then Luke tells us that the insurrection that Mark uh, is, is addressing occurred within, the, within this very city. And so Pilate is probably thinking to himself, you know, wanting to set Jesus free, well, who would these people prefer? And so he takes this hardened, notorious criminal and he says, okay, are people going to want me to release uh, this notorious thug into the streets to, to live amongst their children and their wives who is a murderer and a robber? And someone who, who causes trouble? Or, or will they want me to release this quiet, humble man uh, who has committed no crime, who is innocent, and who is only really guilty of having people envy him? And so the answer to, to you and I seems obvious, but to, to Pilate's amazement, even though he gave them these two opposite options, with only one being a public safety crisis, the people choose the option that he never thought that they would. They choose Barabbas. We're told in verse 9 that Pilate asked the crowd, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? But in verse 11 we're told after being stirred up by the, by the chief priest, the crowd shouts out, release Barabbas. Which is really what, when they say release Barabbas, what they're saying to his question, do you want me to release to you, your king, the king of the Jews, it's a no answer to that. They're saying, no, we don't want you to release to us the king of the Jews. Right? And shouting for Barabbas' release, what we need to see is that they are denying Christ as king. They are refusing Christ as their king. They are denying and, and uh, rejecting Christ as their king. This leads us to point number two, which is Jesus, Israel's rejected king. Now, I would ask, if you would, brothers and sisters, to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, please accept my apology, but we're going to read the entire chapter, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. And they, they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after again, after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I have brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, 
so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king for him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and he will put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. What I want you to see by reading this is that we have seen this very thing that's taking place in our text play out before. Right here in First Samuel, the people did not want God to be their king. They wanted to be ruled like the other nations. They wanted an earthly king over them to judge them and to to go out before them in war and in battle. And even when when Samuel tells them all that is going to happen to them, they do not obey his voice. And we know then Israel's history, don't we? They are led into bondage and captivity. They are led into sin. There is great injustice done in the land. The worship of God is perverted. Right? They, they suffer from all the, the curses of their rejection of Jesus, or excuse me, as God as their, as their king. Right? They suffered all of those curses from rejecting God as their king. And the same is going to be true for those in our text today. When given the opportunity to repent for bringing Jesus up and delivering him before Pilate, and that is exactly what Pilate does for them. He gives them a second chance. He gives them an opportunity to repent when he brings before them Jesus and Barabbas. But what do we see? The people do not repent. No one there claims Christ as their king. They all said no to Christ as king. And in doing so, what they were really saying no to is their own salvation. They were saying no to their own salvation. And like the Israelites of old, what they were doing by their own choice is digging deeper for themselves, right? Into bondage and captivity and sin and curses. Right? What we need to see is that Jesus, as king over his spiritual people, over his spiritual kingdom, rules in the hearts of his people. Right? Jesus, as king, rules in the hearts and minds uh, of men and women. And it is this kingly rule of Christ in the hearts of men and women that this crowd rejects and denies. 
And it is the same kingly rule of Christ in the hearts of men and women that we see being denied every day in our own life, do we not? Right? When people hear the gospel and they do not throw themselves before Christ in His mercy, and instead they continue in stubborn disobedience and rebellion, brothers and sisters, what we need to see is that they too, like the Israelites, are shouting out, we don't want Christ to be our king. What we need to see is that when people deny Christ and reject Him, what they are saying in the very depths of their soul is that we prefer Barabbas. We prefer Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. This is what the ungodly say every single day of their life. I want Barabbas. And think about it, brothers and sisters. This crowd, this was the crowd that was at one time favorable to Christ. Remember, the, 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 the chief priests and the scribes and the elders were afraid to get Jesus because of the people. But now all of a sudden it is turned so that they want to release a murderer instead of Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why? All because the chief priests were told in verse 11, remember, these are leaders within Judaism, stirred them up to it. And so I want each of us here today to see something, especially our young, right? the, the ones who may be leaving home soon, uh, the, the ones who are very impressionable at this young age. I want you to see that the, the influence that wicked people can have over you. I want you to see the, the influence that wicked people can have over you. Right? These Jewish leaders were able to get this crowd to believe in untruth. They were able to get the crowd to believe a lie, but not just believe a lie. They were able to get this crowd to actively now pursue the death of an innocent man. Now Satan, who is behind all lies, as he is the father of lies, is able to get them to forget about justice. He is able to get them to forget about right and wrong. He is able to get them to forget about the law. More importantly, he is able to forget, cause them to forget about their own souls as they only have this one goal in mind, which is putting Christ to death. And today it's no different, is it? Today it's no different. Uh, leaders in politics, in entertainment, sadly in religion, are trying to get people constantly to believe the lie. Today, one of the main issues in our own society is sexual immorality or sexual identity. There's a sexual revolution going on. Right? People are trying to, to blur all distinction between right and wrong and objective truth. And it's all supposed to be about subjectivity and feelings. And so we just need to live and let live. And the father of lies is getting people to believe this through the help of, of famous figures. And so through the help of famous figures, he's getting you to forget about what the Bible says about these things. He's getting people to forget about what right and wrong is. He's getting them to forget about what nature itself tells us. The devil who is behind all of this is trying to blind us and get us to forget about our souls. But we must not. And we must understand that, that every day everyone is choosing between Barabbas or Christ. Right? You are choosing Barabbas or Christ. You choose, in fact, each and every day, insurrection, murder, and robbery in your souls or Christ. Right? When you sin, you, like this crowd, are uprising and revolting against Christ as your king. Right? When you sin, you're, you're rising up against your own soul and insurrection against it. Right? This is what we must see. 
When we sin, we are saying we, we don't want Christ. We want Barabbas. When we profane the Sabbath day, we are saying, I want Barabbas. I choose Barabbas. Right? When we lie, cheat, steal, covet, we are saying, I prefer Barabbas to Christ. And so the question has to be asked, is, is Christ your king or do you here today prefer Barabbas? If Christ is your king, then flee sin. Put to death sin. Seek after righteousness. Love purity. Cling to the word which is able to make one wise unto salvation. Right? If Christ rules in your heart, God's people, then do not mix the temple of the living God with sin. And rather, flee sexual immorality. Flee idolatry. Flee laziness. Flee self-righteousness. All of those things that hinder our relationship with God. And instead, do those good things that Paul calls us to in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And here's the promise. And the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Perhaps if the church, over all these years, had been attending to the church's business, perhaps if church members all around this world had been attending diligently to their own spiritual life, the church wouldn't constantly be falling for these lies and being duped by the world and playing the harlot or the whore with the world. This crowd in our text today got duped into believing the lie that this chief priest told. And so what ends up happening is that they choose death over life. They choose Barabbas over Christ. They choose a murderer over the Prince of Peace. What is so sad and what makes them all the more guilty is is that they had Christ with them. Christ came from them. Christ was one of them. He was a Jew who went to the Jews first to proclaim the Gospel to them. They had all these privileges and benefits that others did not have. They had seen the miracles that He did, how He healed their lame and sick to attest to the veracity of the message. And yet, what do they do? They reject Him and say, no, we don't want Christ as King. Even Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. Pilate knows that Jesus has committed no crime, that He's done no evil. Even a pagan could see this. Which is why He says in Verse 14, after the people shout, crucify Him. He says, why? What evil has He done? Right? But, but God's covenant people, those that God had covenanted with, did not care about His Son. Did not care about His Son's innocence, but only wanted to see His death. And what we need to see, brothers and sisters, is that it wasn't even enough for Christ to die. It wasn't enough for Christ to die. They wanted Him to die a cruel death. You see, they could have, instead of shouting crucify Him, they could have been crying out for a speedy and quick death for Christ. But they don't. They want His death to be long. They want His death to be painful. They want it to be torturous. And they want it to be as humiliating as possible. And so they cry out for that such punishment that existed under Roman law, which was crucifixion. 
And so they cry out when Pilate says in verse 12, what do you want me to do with him? Responding in verse 13, crucify him. In verse 14, crucify him. And because Pilate is a, is a coward, unwilling to do what is right, because he's afraid of the crowd, he doesn't want a riot to, to break out before him. He doesn't want a, a complaint to be leveled against him to his superiors, that he's unwilling to put uh, Jesus to death, that he gives the people exactly what they're asking for. And this leads us then to our third and our final point this morning, which is Jesus' punishment. Jesus' punishment. Look with me, please, at our final verse in our text this morning. Uh, verse 15. It's here we read, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, you might be asking yourselves this. Why, if they are shouting crucify him, and the text tells us that he delivered him over to be crucified, must he first be scorched? Well, what we will come to learn is that Pilate was initially hoping that the scourging of Jesus would satisfy the bloodthirstiness of the crowd. But what we will learn is that it does not. And even after he is scourged, they yell, Crucify him, crucify him, which is why then he is delivered up to be crucified. Now, the scourge, uh, we need to think of it like a whip. Scourge is like a whip, wooden handle, and coming from the whip are uh, leather cords. And at the end of those leather cords, which you would find are pieces of, of brass, pieces of lead, and pieces of broken bones. And what would happen... Uh, is that the criminal would be whipped, but it wouldn't just be one guard, it would be multiple guards so that the whipping would never relent. There wouldn't be a break in it. It would be hit after hit after hit. And what scourging did to the body was a frightful sight to see. I mean, it's, it's disturbing to even think about what scourging did to the body. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus, though, tells us that there were some who were scourged, and after they were scourged, you could see their internal organs. Other historians said that there were some who were scourged, and after they were scourged, you could see their bones. And yet, brothers and sisters, this was a, a mercy that Pilate did for Jesus. And so it ought to, it ought to cause us to just initially think in our minds how much worse is crucifixion that, that the scourging was a mercy that Pilate gives to Christ. Okay. Now, scourging itself at times was actually used as capital punishment. Um, and after I just described it briefly for you, I think we all can see why. And yet what we have to understand is that this is a punishment that God the Father sent Christ into the world to endure. Right, this is a punishment that God sent His Son into the world to endure, to endure. As one author puts it, this was all a part of the tapestry of grace which God was weaving together for sinners. That was all a part of the tapestry of grace which God was weaving together for sinners. Now here's a very important point that I want everyone to listen to and have your ears perk up, okay? 
And it is this, that in the release of Barabbas and in the punishment of Jesus, what God has given to us through the pen of Mark is a striking illustration of the gospel. Okay? Barabbas, a sinner, is spared. And Christ, the innocent one, is punished instead. What we need to understand and see is that we all stood in the place of Barabbas. We all stood in the place of Barabbas. We were all guilty by nature. We're all worthy of death. We've all come into this world without hope and apart from Christ in this world. But Christ, in this day, stepped forward in your place and mine. Jesus puts on display for us in our text how it is or the, the manner in which God forgives sinners and justifies the ungodly. Right? We, although are guilty, are set free like Barabbas and Christ suffers our penalty in our place. That is what we need to see going on here in our text today. Right? We walk away acquitted because Christ is condemned as guilty. Right? We escape the pits of hell for all of eternity because Christ suffers the torments of hell upon the cross. Christ was bound with chains and forced to stand before an earthly judge so that you and I may one day, free from chains and free from fear, be able to stand before the throne of our Heavenly Father. What Christ did for you and I, He did vicariously for you and I. It was through Christ's humiliation that He enables us now to attain to that heavenly glory. And we need to keep this in mind, for this was necessary. What Christ did was so necessary. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we read this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. He suffered that He might bring us to God. In our text today, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see is the immense love that God has for His people. And that He did not spare His own Son but sent Him to endure this penalty and this punishment in your stead so that you might have communion with Almighty God. What we need to see in our text today is the immense love that Christ has for His church. That He came down from glory and He endured this penalty and this punishment for the church. He did it in order that He might purify and cleanse his church. He did it in order that he might make for himself a spotless and clean bride. That is the immense love of Christ that he has shown to us in his actions. As we draw to a close in this morning, I want to uh, read from the Puritan Isaac Ambrose and what he says about these whippings that Christ endured. And so please listen carefully. These are powerful words. Come then, and let us learn to read this love letter sent from heaven in bloody characters. Christ is stripped who clothed the lilies of the field. Christ is bound hand and foot, His hand that multiplied the loaves, and His feet that were weary from seeking straggling sheep. Christ is scourged all over because all over we were full of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. And there was no way to cure our wounds but by His wounds. Our bruises by His bruises. Our sores 
by His source. Oh, read and read again. Christ is whipped belly, back, side, shoulders to the soles of His feet. The lashes eating into His flesh and cutting into His very veins so that the gashes were so wide that you may have seen His ribs, His bones. His very inwards. What was there ever love like unto this? Had He not been God as well as man, He could never have had in His heart such a love like this. He says, Oh, it was divine love. It was love, the love of a Jesus. A love far surpassing any love from any other men, women, or angels. Brothers and sisters, as we close today, let us spend some time today considering this love of Christ. Let us take more time throughout our our weeks and our days to ponder this love of Christ. This love of Christ that was revealed to us in Him standing before Pilate. This love of Christ that He demonstrated in receiving these scourges for us. In order that you and I and whoever would come to faith in Christ might be given peace with God so that we could spend all of eternity with Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We love you so. But we only love you because you first loved us. We are thankful for the gospel message. We are thankful for what Christ has done for us. Causing us to be spared and be freed as we've seen Barabbas spared and freed in our text today. And taking upon himself our penalty for our sin. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to spend more time thinking about these things and causing it to move us. Move us to serve you, to flee from sin, and to long to be with this Christ. So, Father, we come before you this morning and we ask all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.